and welcome to Screen Cleaning here on BYU Radio, the show that is all about shining a big spotlight on all that is good in entertainment. And there's a lot that's good going on right now. I'm Jeff Simpson. And I'm Cole Wissinger. And we are so excited that we finally get to go back to the movies later on in the show. We are going to uh, face the music as we talk about Bill and Ted Face the Music, a new movie that's out. And I get to talk about a movie that we've been waiting for just so much longer than just a pandemic to see, New Mutants. Also, Rod Gustafson, who often joins the show for movie reviews, will be reviewing something to stream if you're still not ready to go back to theaters. So, Cole, New Mutants has so many date changes and rescheduling. I know. I I still don't believe that you saw that movie last night. I am a witness. I wouldn't have believed it if I wasn't sitting in the theater myself. (laughs) So, so enjoyable. Well, we're super excited about the show today because this is actually part two of a very exciting show that we had last week about recasting famous movies. And last week, we took movies of today that have really become iconic and uh, have had some very iconic characters. And we hypothesized a little bit, Cole. What would it be like if we took these new movies and instead uh, recast these characters with actors from days of, of uh, a different past? past. <laughs> no, <laughs> well, I, I chose actors from kind of the golden age of Hollywood. And especially for my Avengers, I said it in the 1990s. What if the biggest blockbuster stars of that time were starring in the movies of today? But now we're going to reverse it, where we take some of the biggest blockbusters and movies from starting with the golden age and then into the 70s and 80s with today's movie stars. That's right. And if you want to listen to that previous episode, you can download the Screen Cleaning Podcast. You can just Google Screen Cleaning Podcast. There you can look up all of our previous shows. We're we're coming up on about 100 shows here, Cole. As of today, there are 99 shows Woo-hoo! that you can see. Yes. Listen to. You should know that we've been doing the show much longer than that, but uh, that's how long the podcast has been around. So, yeah, go there, check it out. We've got a lot of fun content there. And we're excited now to bring you part two of our recasting episode. And, Cole... We might ruffle some feathers coming right out of the gate here with this first movie that we want to recast. I mean, let's set up the concept. So we're looking to the golden age. We're looking to 1939. If if 1999 wasn't the best year in Hollywood, 39 probably was, and it certainly made Hollywood what it is today. I think if there's a single movie that the most just humans on the planet have sat down to see, whether they're movie fans or not, it is probably... The Wizard of Oz. And when we say we're recasting The Wizard of Oz, folks, we're not campaigning for a reboot of The Wizard of Oz. No. We're just saying if The Wizard of Oz had never happened, if we'd never made that first movie of L. Frank Baum's classic novel, this is how we would cast it coming out today. Absolutely. So I don't think my pick for Dorothy is going to come as much of a surprise. This is somebody that has established herself as a singer. And it seems like anytime she's in a movie these days, she's singing, uh, she's peppy, or she's tapping on some cups. So I'm thinking Anna Kendrick would make a great Dorothy Gale from Kansas. And I, I believe that she would be on the shortlist to play Dorothy if they were to redo it. I don't know if she would say yes because of how iconic of a role this is and she might get a lot of 
dirty looks at the supermarket. We've got to just embrace the alternate universe here. Sure. And my pick for Dorothy is, you know, Judy Garland is small of stature, right? She could play a teenage girl well into her 20s and probably in her 30s as well. And so I'm looking for the biggest pop star right now that kind of imbues that little girl mystique even though she is now in her 20s she had her start in tv and she has acting chops but she absolutely can sing the heck out of any song you give her ariana grande is my dorothy gale that's a fantastic choice all right yeah and you know maybe that is a better choice because anna kendrick's getting a little bit older but she still is maintaining her young look right and she sounds very young too as two, famous people tend to do. Two solid choices, <laughs> I'll say. Uh, Cole, who is your scarecrow? We need Dorothy needs her scarecrow, the person that she will miss the most when she leaves the land of Oz. The person, although he does not have a brain, pretty much has all of the really good ideas throughout the movie. <laughs> so, who is your who is Dorothy's who is your scarecrow to your Ariana Grande's uh, Dorothy? My favorite version of the Scarecrow, so you can't talk about The Wizard of Oz from 1939 without talking about the many, many iterations that we have had since then. This week, because we didn't have any like new movies to really study, we weren't going to talk about movies per se, I watched The Wiz for fun, and Michael Jackson is my like favorite version of a really? Scarecrow in any version of A Wizard of Oz. And so I was trying to find like someone that could do that lanky dancing kind of thing and someone else that can sing first and foremost because I think that worked so well. I'm going to take formerly of One Direction and someone that has been in movies, including one you love, Dunkirk, Harry Styles as my scarecrow. Wow. That would that would be a big, bold move for him, and I think it would I think he'd do well in it. There was news just last week that he was rumored to be in a move an upcoming movie with Brad Pitt that was eventually shot down as just a rumor. But Harry Styles is someone that has tried to make that move from the pop world into movies. I think this could be his, you know, big break. Okay. In an alternate world where we're not actually rebooting The Wizard of Oz. Now hear me out on this one, Cole. For my scarecrow. I am going with Killian Murphy. Mm. I'm just kidding. No, I'm just, that was a joke because he Batman. played the scarecrow in Batman Begins and in The Dark Knight and in The Dark Knight Rises. He's one of the only, he's the only villain that appeared in all three of those films. True. Isn't that awesome? I can't tell you how happy I was when he showed up in that courtroom scene uh, in The Dark Knight Rises. It was. It put a big smile on my face. I can't tell you how happy I was to see a trailer for The Batman at DC's Fandom last week. But that's a whole different topic, Cole. It is. Um, I think that's going to be rated R, by the way. Anyway, my pick for the Scarecrow is somebody that, again, has has roots in music and was on also on the Disney Channel, and he actually portrayed the Scarecrow in a sketch on Saturday Night Live, which is why I am going with Ryan Gosling as my scarecrow. Oh. Can you see it, Cole? Can you see uh, it? He's very handsome. But he can play goofy and he can play he can do physical comedy. He's an actor. Yeah. What are you what are you trying to say, Cole? I, I the nice guys, he certainly had like that physical comedy going for He's him. funny. He's funny. He's funny, Cole. I think he could pull it off more than a Harry Styles could. Yeah, I mean, that, he's probably a better actor. <laughs> I think I can confidently say that one. Now we need a Tin Man. Okay, 
So for my 10-man, um, I was very strategic about this because, as you know, in the original The Wizard of Oz, Jack Haley was not the original choice for the Tin Man, right? Buddy Epson was the original choice for the Tin Man. He had a bit of an allergic reaction to the makeup that they were applying, and so they had to cast Jack Haley. So I wanted to go with somebody that was recast in their own movie or who replaced another actor in that movie. Did you know that Paddington Bear was originally supposed to be voiced by Colin Firth? Interesting. I can't imagine it now because Paddington has become so iconic, but... Yes. So apparently they came to a, a mutual agreement that it wasn't working out. And so that's when Ben Wishaw was mm-hmm. cast as Paddington. And I, the Tin Man's a little timid, and I can definitely picture Ben Wishaw as the Tin Man. And as we've seen in Mary Poppins Returns, he can sing, he can play timid, and I think he'd make a great Tin Man. I also have a redemption story for my Tin Man here. It would have been very easy to cast a certain actor as possibly the cowardly lion, but I'm going the Tin Man here to avoid obvious comparisons to another musical that he was in just okay. recently. There's a fellow by the name of Jason Derulo who's... I thought you were going to say James Corden, or maybe a, that's for the, the cowardly lion. Absolutely not. Okay. But Jason Derulo, just this past week, had... An interview came out where he thought Cats was going to change the world. He, People that were involved in this movie truly believed it was going to be the next great American film. It turned out not to be. And so I want to give this man another chance. I There were so many things that ended up wrong and oh so right about Cats. I don't think all of them were Jason Derulo's acting or singing. I think he can still do that. And so he is my Tin Man Definitely not putting him in another cat suit, though, because you got to distance yourself at least a little bit from hmm. that movie. See, now that I'm looking at The Cowardly Lion, I'm thinking Hollywood, it would be a no-brainer for them to cast James Corden no, as The Cowardly Lion. we're taking this seriously today. <laughs> we're taking it seriously, which is why I think Eddie Murphy would make a great cowardly lion interesting because mine is jack black another Ah, funny guy (laughs) yeah i think they've both established themselves as playing these clumsy neurotic slightly annoying characters right i'm thinking donkey and shrek it's kind of along that same line it's kind of the same character right Mm -hmm. um Yeah, I could see that. I could see both of those actors in that role. And Jack Black, again, for especially these main four, and actually I think everyone that I've cast has sung to some degree or another, but Jack Black, famous from Tenacious D, absolutely amazing in School of Rock. He's genuinely a good singer. He's genuinely a good singer, and so I needed people that can hold their own musically for this main cast, and I think Jack Black will bring a little bit of the comedic timing to the, the big, you know, Cow- the big lion that is also a little cowardly, Jack Black, seems perfect. Yeah. So, Cole, I think these next shoes, these next pointed shoes are probably going to be the toughest to fill. How do you top Margaret Hamilton as the Wicked Witch of the West? How do you do it? 
melting, melting all of my beautiful wickedness. I'll get you, my pretty, and your little dog, too. <laughs> the first great villain of the silver screen. But who are you going with? Cole, this is tough because we're talking about an actress that haunted me for I don't want to admit, decades. admit that it's possibly decades, but throughout my childhood, I every recurring dream that I had had the Wicked Witch at the heart of it. Uh, there were times when I thought the Wicked Witch was possibly inside my parents' dark closet, hiding behind all the clothes, like she would have nothing better to do. Um, <laughs> she would have had to uh, deliquify herself. Or hydrate herself, I guess. I'm not sure what it would be. Yes. You'd have to... Solidify? Solidify, sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I would probably go with another actress who terrified me as a kid. And I think she could be just as terrifying as Margaret Hamilton because she's played similar roles in uh, a production for Disneyland and in an adaptation of a children's book from a very famous children's book author, children's book author uh, who was well-known for terrifying children, and that's Roald Dahl. I'm talking about the witches. I'm talking about Captain EO. And as my Wicked Witch of the West, I am choosing Academy Award winner Angelica Houston. There you go. Solid, solid choice. Have you seen The Witches, Cole? I watched it a couple Halloweens ago because you told oh, me to. She, I mean, she doesn't even need that makeup, first of all. But Jim, Hen- the Jim Henson Company did a fantastic job with her makeup. But she could terrify you without that makeup. She's that good of an actress. I, again, look to the many different adaptations of The Wizard of Oz. And I think the one that doesn't get enough credit here on Screen Cleaning, because we haven't yet gotten the movie version, even though there are constantly rumors that it will eventually happen, is the 1995 Broadway production of Wicked. At the time, it was uh, headlined by Idina Menzel and Kristen Chenoweth. And that was in... I 19- mean... Uh... Uh, Adele Gazim. Yeah, (laughs) that joke's been made at least once before in the entertainment world. Idina Menzel is my Wicked Witch of the West because in 1995, she and Kristen Chenoweth played the the witches when they were in school. Time has now passed and they have matured into the roles and now they are ready to play the fully adult versions because my Glenda the Good Witch would then be Kristen Chenoweth. Okay. I want to reunite for the first time on the big screen those two fantastic actresses that can sing. You don't think that would be a little distracting, Cole? No, because I want to embrace the solid Wizard of Oz heritage that we have. Okay. I... I had forgotten to cast this person, but then it just came to me like that. I think this this woman would make a fantastic good witch. She kind of played a similar character in a movie called Scrooged. And if you don't know her from that, you probably know her from The Princess Bride. Liar! 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 Stand back, witch! I'm not a witch. I'm your wife. But after what you just said, I'm not even sure I want to be that anymore. Carol Kane. Okay. Yes, Carol Kane. She was kind of, like I said, a version of a witch slash fairy slash ghost in Scrooged. And she was accused of being a witch in The Princess Bride, as you just heard, played out marvelously there by, by you. yours truly. 
Um, but yeah, I can just see her as kind of this bumbling, bubbly, happy, slurry kind of a witch, and I think she would make a fantastic Angelica Glenda. Houston from Witches is one witch, and then I, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with having a theme here. Finally, we have the great and powerful Oz that we must cast, and again, I'm looking to other oh, versions so to of Wizard of Oz here, because... There's a movie that I think stylistically did a lot of great things and was the perfect follow-up. Also this week, by the way, I watched Return to Oz for the first time that Jeff has recommended countless times because I wanted to be truly prepared for all the different Oz's that there are. Yeah. Return to Oz was not my favorite kind of take on a sequel to Can the Wizard of Oz. Can you see how terrifying it might be for a little child, though? No, because I watched actual horror movies as a little child. The true follow-up to The Wizard of Oz that we've gotten on the big screen is Oz the Great and Powerful starring James oh, that's... Franco oh, no, as The Wizard of Oz. Cole, I'm starting to think that maybe you forgot to do your homework on this one and that you just... You you went for the easy answers. Did you I, I feel like somebody slipped you the answers before the big test, Cole. Because I'm getting them all right. Uh mm, um you're getting oh, mm, okay. I maybe I shouldn't have that was a bad example. But uh all right. So James Franco as the Wizard of Oz. So you're going you're trying to keep things consistent here. But you're also trying to create this I have an Aussie cinematic universe. There's nothing more twenty twenty than making everything connected, and so that's what I'm trying to do. You're creating a Spider-Verse of sorts Absolutely, from all of these I alternate am. realities here. Connect them. Okay. Well, mine might make you roll your eyes, but I don't think it's much of a stretch because this person is no stranger to playing multiple characters, which is what happened in the original The Wizard of Oz with Frank Morgan. I always thought the best roles in this movie to play would be either the Cowardly Lion or... The wizard slash Professor Marvel slash the gatekeeper slash the carriage driver slash the guard. So, man, oh, man, does Frank Morgan have a killer time in this movie. You can just tell. And he kills it. He is probably my favorite character from this movie. And I grew up very much a fan of this actor. I haven't I don't feel like his career has aged as well. But I definitely think he could pull off playing that many different characters, which is why, for my The Wizard, I am going with none other than two-time Golden Globe Award winner Jim Carrey. Oh, my goodness. I told you. I told you it would make you roll your eyes, Cole. This is recasting in 2020, not 1994. And I'm not sure if he's The Wizard right now. First of all, he's not quite old enough yet to be the wizard, but he's not young enough to have a box office draw. Sonic is what we know him from this year as Dr. Robotnik. Cole. That's your the wizard. Let me let me share this with you. Okay. Frank Morgan, who was actually born Francis Philip Wepperman. Thank you, Wikipedia, I'm sure. Uh I I make no admissions there. Uh-huh. Uh was actually only about forty eight when he was the wizard. Yeah, but when Jim you see Carrey this movie at 50s. When you see this movie at 5 years old, 48 might as well be 80. <laughs> Jim Carrey is 58. Oh my goodness. So he's 10 years so he Frank older. Morgan's senior there. That goes to show you. 
Yeah. You know, one of my options for The Wizard, again, trying to find other versions of Wizard of Oz, another of my favorites was a TV miniseries on sci-fi where a fellow by the name of Richard Dreyfus played a sort of wizard kind of character. Yeah. When we come back here on Screen Cleaning, we're going to take a look at one of his iconic roles, the movie that maybe coined the term blockbuster. We're going to recast Jaws as if it was 2020 and a couple others when we come back on Screen Cleaning. I heard once in a Just when you thought it was safe to go back to the movie theaters. Jaws 2020. Starring, which is what we're here to do today on Screen Cleaning, we have been recasting iconic movies, old movies. We just recast The Wizard of Oz. Some very interesting choices. Uh, Cole, I don't think, appreciated some of my choices very much. And I don't think Jeff totally got on board with the (laughs) Wizard of Oz Cinematic Universe either, but that's fine. That's in the past. Now we're looking at other iconic movies through the years, not necessarily the Golden Age. And we got to start after a summer where we didn't get a single summer blockbuster because we've been out of the movies. We looked at the summer blockbuster. It is 1975's Jaws. How would you recast it? Oh, talk about big shoes to fill, Cole, because this is a movie that uh, was nominated for Best Picture. It was a movie that uh, was not supposed to do as well as it did because it, it was failing spectacularly during the production of it. I feel like the actors had kind of a miserable experience making it. Steven Spielberg kind of had a miserable experience making it. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he thought it was going to ruin his career. But... Against all odds, it did extremely well, and I thought originally that I could definitely see Dwayne The Rock Johnson as Sheriff Brody, (laughs) but then I thought, no, because you need somebody that you wouldn't look at and think, well, we're supposed to buy that this guy has a difficult time saving the day. I don't think so. So you need to go with somebody that is not a huge, big action star. Uh, you need to go with somebody that is more of the caliber of a Roy Scheider, right? Which is why, for my Sheriff Brody, I went with somebody that's a little softer spoken, um, but can also show that he can save the day. But you wouldn't necessarily know it by looking at him unless he's in his green, bulkier form. And it's Mr. Mark Ruffalo as Sheriff Brody. All right. Still a box office draw. I I very much like that. Chief Brody, I think, is the one that glues this movie together. He's is it chief or sheriff. I think it's Chief Brody. You're right. Chief Brody. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he, I mean, he's our point of view character. He's the one asking the questions. He's the one new to town trying to figure out what this hubaloo is and, and why this is a thing. And so he's got to be the strongest actor. I went with Jake Gyllenhaal because I think that he oh. has shown many, many different sides. He can have a little bit of a darker side as we like see the conflict and, and see the acting. Um, but I think that he also is just kind of unassuming enough in a few of his roles that he can truly guide us. Okay. This one I was probably the most excited about of any of the casting choices that I made because for Quint, the grizzled, hardened shark hunter that, uh, you know, takes his fingernails and scratches them down that chalkboard to get get everybody's attention. attention. Yeah. And, uh, 
somebody that can give us the head, the the body, the whole darn thing, as he would say in the movie. I went with somebody who has really done well for himself in his career playing these old, grizzled, do-not-mess-with-me type of guys, which is why I went with somebody who by name you might not be familiar with, but by show you certainly would be from Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul fame, Jonathan Banks, who plays oh, Mike Ermentrout, yes. would be fantastic as Quint in Jaws. That's a good selection. Now, remember, we're casting this in 2020. So when I say I want Russell Crowe as Quint, I'm not talking about 2000 gladiator ah, ripped Russell Crowe. You're talking about unhinged about Russell Crowe. Unhinged old man, <laughs> kind of chubby with a raggly beard, Russell Crowe. He's got, again, that acting rage. Jaws is my most serious selection of the ones that we're doing here and I think it really could be a dramatic movie because Quint's the one that has to deliver the speech about the Indianapolis, right? And I think it's Russell Crowe that can find it in there. Like, he's had all different roles throughout his career and I think he could carry that speech all the way through. Yeah, I got really excited when you said Russell Crowe because I would actually love to see him in that role and in that movie. But to that... Just to talk about what you just mentioned with those really difficult speeches to deliver, Mike Ehrmantraut delivers many of those speeches on Breaking Bad on, oh, and yeah. Better Call Saul. And he's somebody that you can see is broken, but also do not mess with me type of guy, you know? A couple great choices. So for my Hooper, I went with somebody that, uh, you know, is maybe a little neurotic, is really good at talking and talking fast, and... Uh, I, If I were to cast Hooper in 2020, I would go with Academy Award-nominated Jesse Eisenberg. Can you see Jesse Eisenberg as Hooper trying to convince people that, uh, no, you've you got, you got to shut down the beach for 4th of July weekend. It's, you're going to have the, you know, just talking super fast and trying to Impeccable get somebody's attention Eisenberg. at all costs. Yeah. 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 That's my choice for Hooper. So originally... I, when I remember Richard Dreyfus, he seemed so old because I saw Jaws when I was so young. But Jeff informed me, and I'm sure a more recent watching of Jaws than the last time I've seen it would have informed <laughs> me as well, that Hooper's supposed to be the younger student that, you know, is the one pushing for this, for for something that science supports but public opinion does not. And so my Hooper will be someone that's played a similar role in a big space movie, which I think is the shark movie of 2020. Sure. It is Donald Glover. Donald Glover in The Martian played this huh. similar role where he's kind of the the weird off-putting science guy that's trying to tell him the way things need to be back here on Earth, but that no one really believes because he's kind of weird. Um, I think that if that's what you want out of Hooper, if he's apparently not an old balding man that I seem to remember Richard Dreyfuss being, uh, then the Donald Glover's your man. All right. Well, there you have it. Jaws 2020. And if that movie score wasn't iconic enough for you, how about... Womp, womp, womp. We've got to go to the Spaghetti Western and recast the good, the bad, and... The ugly. Yes. This, Cole, I believe is my favorite Western. So I've got to make the right choices here, Cole. So we want to recast the good... The bad and the ugly, right? Yeah. Those three main characters that need each other in this movie to to really make and sell this movie. 
I don't have big dramatic reasons why I've picked these people. I just chose the people in Hollywood that I think the play the best good, the best bad, and the best ugly. Okay, so let's start with let's start with the ugly. Okay, so who plays? So just so you know, the the full name of this character is Tuco Benedicto Pacifico Juan Maria Ramirez, aka the Rat, aka the Ugly. Okay, who is your ugly? Steve Buscemi. Steve Buscemi. <laughs> because for Hollywood, he's the ugly. And okay. he often plays it in the movies that he does. Okay. Um, I'm going with somebody that uh, won't seem as it won't seem as racially insensitive to cast him in this role. Because if we're sticking with a Mexican, we actually want to cast a Mexican and, uh, you know, not a Caucasian in this role, which is what happened in the original. Okay. Okay. So I am going to cast Academy Award nominated actor Damien Bashir. If you're not familiar with him, he was nominated for uh, I think it was called A Better Life, um, where he was an he was an illegal immigrant. He was in a, a Quentin Tarantino film, and I really think, based on his performance in The Hateful Eight, that he could pull off playing this weaselly type. And uh, I think he could really ham it up, too. It's 2020. If I had to pick a The Bad, it's Ben Mendelsohn. Really? Because he plays a lot of bad guys. Oh, I really like that choice. I love Ben Mendelsohn as an actor. And I, yeah, he's kind of your go-to bad Bad guy, guy. right? I'm going, so just so you know, uh, The Bad, he's also known as Angel Eyes. And I'm going with somebody who has also shown that he can play the bad guy, but he's also not somebody to be trifled with, and he's got quite the physique and could come off as quite threatening, and that's Michael B. Jordan. Okay. Can you see it? A very famous, I mean, one of the best bad guys that Marvel has put out on screen is Eric Killmonger. I would love to see him in a Western. All right. Okay. Finally, the good, and if in 2020 there's a good guy, it's Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise. Interesting. Okay. So mine's a little bit of a cheat. I kind of criticized you earlier. Well, I gave you a hard time. I jabbed you a little bit for for going for the easy choices, Nothing wrong with constructive criticism. Just so you know, the good is also a.k.a., or (laughs) it's a little redundant, the good, a.k.a. Blondie, A.K.A. The Man, the man with, with No, no name. name. Right? So, really, he's also known as just a lot of different things. We don't know his name. I'm going with somebody who has been in multiple Westerns or has played multiple Western-type roles. He's even played a spoof of The Man with No Name in an, a computer-animated film called Rango. And he pulls up in a golf cart. And I'm going with Timothy Oliphant. Okay. Who... Sounds a little bit like Clint Eastwood, which is why he was chosen to play him in that movie Rango. I think it's an excellent choice. He played that type of a role splendidly on a show called Justified on FX for many, many years. So he's my good. We have one more classic film that we want to remake now, and it is It's a Wonderful Life. This one, we're going to admit right off the bat, this is going to be the most bonkers. So bear with us here as we share some very interesting choices for not only George Bailey, uh, Clarence, the angel, and that curmudgeon Mr. Potter. Cole, 
I'm so excited to hear who you chose for these characters. Well, so you got to start with the one grounded character, and that is the Jimmy Stewart, right? Oh, yeah. Tom Hanks plays just absolutely this kind of a character, and I think that we can believe and get behind him as just a sad guy, but then that always wants to do good. You know, it's interesting because last week on the show, Cole and I, independently of each other, both cast Paul Newman as the Paul Walker character in the Fast Fast and the the Furious Furious franchise, and I'm happy to say that we both cast Tom Hanks it as really George Bailey. It really is a perfect choice yeah. for 2020. Well, everybody always compares Tom Hanks to Jimmy Stewart. He's kind of the Jimmy Stewart of our age, right? He's the everyman, the guy next door, the the, the person, the all-American type guy that you root for, right? I was afraid how often you talked about Hitchcock movies last week that you were gonna cast like Jimmy Stewart as something there, but I'm glad that it came back around today. Yeah. All right. Now, Clarence is the angel that means well up to this point has not earned his wings because for for some reason or another he just is a kind of a bumbling uh, angel right so angel first class i can't remember what they call him but who is your clarence to I'm going... tom hanks's george bailey so this will not be the most serious movie of the three that I've pitched <laughs> to you so far because I'm going for a Clarence that's at the end of his rope. It's starring a guy that has been in another Christmas movie like It's a Wonderful Life, giving us some classic G-rated swearing. I want to hear Joe Pesci fucking brick 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 all over on Tom Hanks when he's not doing what he wants him to do. That is certainly playing against type there, Cole. And just so you know, like we frequently in my household go off on those little rants from Joe Pesci and Joe Alone. Pesci. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm going with a very interesting choice. Uh, and I said earlier that, uh, you know, this is a, a man that can't seem to get his wings. In my case, it's a woman who can't seem to get her wings. Somebody who has been a physical comedian. And uh, to great effect on the silver screen, she hasn't aged well, not as far as her looks are concerned, but as far as her style of humor is concerned, which is why I'm going with the bumbling means well, but, you know, is going to get it right in the end. Melissa McCarthy as Clarence. (laughs) So that's a different direction. I enjoy that one. Yeah. Now, Cole, my. Mr. Potter, I I don't mean to come off as insensitive with this choice because this actor is actually now confined to a wheelchair. But when you talk about an actor who can ham it up, who can play this scary old villainous type person, I had to go with Mr. Tim Curry as Mr. Potter. Interesting. Yes. I I almost went with Christoph Waltz, by the way, who's also (laughs) established himself as playing a villain in these movies over and over and over, but I got to go with Tim Curry. My mind was on Home Alone because those are my favorite Christmas movies, and It's a Wonderful Life needs to fit that same role. And I figure if Donald Trump can show up in Home Alone 2, that maybe Jeff Bezos could be our Mr. Potter for 2020. In It's a Wonderful Life. For a moment, I thought you were going to say Donald Trump was going to be Mr. Potter. He's moved on from his acting career. If you said that, we probably could not air this entire episode, Cole. But the the billionaire, like the big rich guy, the way that Donald Trump was in Home Alone 2 of 2020 right now is Jeff Bezos, Bezos, recently a $200 billion man. All right. Why not? All right. 
Well, we've had a blast recasting these iconic films. Hopefully we didn't ruffle too many feathers or hopefully, you know, we won't be getting a lot of calls or emails from listeners about these choices. It was just a spot of fun, right, Cole? They aren't Uh, reboots. They are reimaginings. That is correct. And we hope that you do the same, that you would recast these roles and just have a little bit of fun that way, too, especially in a time where we can't go to the movies and we can't see these big blockbuster movies. Although, Cole, the gates are starting to open slowly. We're getting Tenet next week. And this weekend, we've actually seen some brand new films enter the movie theaters. And when we return, we are going to give you our reviews for a few of those films. That's coming up next here on Screen Clear. If you're like me, you're probably leaning up against the corner of the room and uh, snapping your fingers and tapping your toes to that catchy little tune. But it also means that we've got a very special guest in the studio today, Mr. Rod Gustafson. Welcome back to Screen Cleaning. What, what, what? Wait, wait a minute. You mean that's my theme? Yes. That really is. Gosh, I have a theme. That's, that's great. That's it's how like, it's programmed in on our screen, and wow. we we don't change things here on the program. The button I poke says Rod's movie theme right in front of me. <laughs> Takes so me I back to forget. the Emperor's New Groove. I have a theme song. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Rod, we're excited to have you here today to talk with us about a couple of new movies that are out this weekend. So, Cole, uh, which movie did you want to start with? I want to start with the New Mutants. Finally in theaters. Can we? Do you mind if we? Can we? Can we put that off? A little longer. I'm no stranger to that. Let's let's put that off a little bit longer. And Rod, if if you will allow me, I would like to start with Bill and Ted Face the Music. I really want to see this movie. So yes, tell us. It should be known that I grew up watching these movies, and I'm probably in the minority when I say that I actually preferred and watched more often Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, the sequel. That is extremely different from the first film, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, the one that so many people know and love all these years later, all these years later, right? That came out in 1989. Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey came out in 1991. So if there's one thing that 2020 needs, it's another one of these movies, apparently. Right. And one thing that I will say, my hat is off to them. Kudos to them for trying to resurrect as much of the cast and as much of the creative team as they possibly could. The same writers, the same leads, and some of the same supporting characters, including Missy, who is always somebody's stepmom in these movies, right? In the first movie, she was Bill's stepmom, even though she was only three years older than them. And Bill jokes, do you remember when I, you remember, or no, Ted jokes, do you remember when I asked your mom to prom? Shut up, Ted. And then in Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, she is Ted's stepmom. And in this film, I, I don't want to spoil whose stepmom or I don't want to spoil who she's marrying in this one. But she's in the movie. But it's a clever little little gag that they have in the movie. She's in it. Uh, Ted's dad is in it. And I'm happy to report that William Sadler, who portrayed Death in Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, my favorite character to come out of this entire franchise, resurrects his role. That's kind of a little bit... <laughs> Because he's death. I didn't mean for it to happen that way, Cole. <laughs> um, and 
here's the thing with Bill and Ted face the music. I couldn't. Well, before I tell you, I, I want to tell you the premise of the movie first. All right. Okay. Before we face the music. Um, the premise of this movie is at the end of Bill and Ted, uh, or I'm sorry, at the end of uh, Bill and Ted's bogus journey, you see in the kind of the post, the credits at the end of the movie that they're going on to do all these great things. They have these hit records and uh, the Grim Reaper joins their band and they're uniting the world. And then, you know, there's a rumored split, but then that doesn't happen. And the Grim Reaper goes and has a solo career. So they try to maintain as much of that as they can. But um, Bill and Ted went from uniting the world and playing concerts in the Grand Canyon to playing open mic nights on Tuesday taco night, <laughs> right? And so things haven't gone as well as they'd hoped. And they're trying different things, including doing experimenting with throat singing and using bagpipes and trumpets. Apparently, and, uh, God Gave Rock and Roll to You was a one-hit wonder for the Wild Stallions. They were in a rut, okay? Um, and so, yeah, they are faced with this uh, very dire situation. They're called back uh, to the future, different franchise, but they are literally called back to the future yes. to meet with this council of wise beings, right? And their vehicle there is not a telephone, but it's kind of like this egg-shaped pod. And Kristen Shaw is who who plays Rufus's daughter. Of course, she's going to play Rufus's daughter. Yeah, she's daughter. the new George Carlin in this. And he it? also makes an appearance as a hologram, I will say. So he's one of the few characters mm. that appeared in all three movies. Mm. So these wise beings inform them that they have until 7.17 p.m. that night to come up with the song that is going to unite the world and save reality as we know it. So there are a lot of uh, reality glitches that are occurring where, uh, you know, you have George Washington going from, you know, striking that pose on that boat to ending up in Babe Ruth's place trying to hit a home run. And even Jesus Christ himself ends up in different times throughout the course of the movie. That's kind of a running gag that they have. So they have to realign things and, and restore order to reality as we know it, right? So there are some clever gags where they're really just rehashing uh, themes and plot points from the original movies where they're collecting historical figures and they end up at, in hell at one point, which is where death comes into play. But really, I couldn't shake the feeling as I was watching it. You know, there are a lot of 80s casts from movies that during this time of quarantine, their way of reuniting and uh, reminiscing is to just hop onto Zoom with Josh Gad and being reunited apart, right? And I couldn't help but think, gosh, I probably would have had so much more fun just watching this cast reunite on a Zoom call with Josh Gad, talking about some of the behind-the-scenes stories from the other two movies. And you know what? It would have been a lot cheaper to do that. Heck, I would have taken gladly taken that six seventy-five I paid to see this movie and paid to, you know, get that streaming link to watch the reunited apart Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure because this was just a missed opportunity. I I I don't know if I was as depressed watching this movie as I was as I was watching Dumb and Dumber 2 seeing these older characters 20, 30 years later, but uh yeah, I know that part 2 was actually called Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, but if I'm honest, 
this part, Bill and Ted face the music. This one was the bogus oh, journey for me. Sad. Say it ain't so. And uh, if you, according to Rotten Tomatoes, this one has the best ratings of all three of them. And I just kept waiting, hoping, please put something on the screen. Say yeah. something that's going to make me laugh. And I was dead silent the entire time. This is Rotten Tomatoes' is croc. Well, okay. Well, you guys I mean, can if, be the judge if then. If everybody gives the movie a B minus or about a what's the math here, you have to look at it statistically as binary. If you give it three out of five stars, as considered a fresh tomato. Well, I finally got Gosh. to see New Mutants, and I really Cole, I want to give my can review we, of Can we? We need to put that off for a minute because we've okay. actually got Rod here. Not to be rude, but uh, let's hear what you're here to, to review, well, yeah, Cole we, or Rod. This movie, this I mean, it's a big release on Netflix. It's called The Sleepover. <laughs> okay. Okay, so let me tell you just a little bit of a story. I was supposed to go see the personal history of David Copperfield, and I blew it. Because Google told me it was starting at 9, but then I discovered it actually had started at like 6.40. No. Watch your movie listings on Google, people. Go check the theater website. I mean, it's probably COVID. Who knows what's going on there? Yeah, things are all in flux right now. We're just getting back to theaters. Double check if you're going to see something. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So anyhow, so then I decided, well, I need to watch something. What has come out on streaming? So Netflix has released this movie called The Sleepover. Now, looking at this, this is your typical just kind of cheap, cheaply made comedy that is targeting the 8 to 12-year-old crowd. And I thought, well, this is going to be so painful. What I can say is it's not bad. Hey. It's not painful. (laughs) (laughs) I was actually surprised. Actually, it comes together pretty good. And what basically what the story is, is there's this family and uh, they got a a daughter, a teenage daughter who wants to go out to a big party with her friends and her parents won't let her go. And she's got this little brother who's kind of up to his his own things. And uh, basically what happens is this night evolves is the kids discover their mother isn't who they thought she was. Mm. And she's actually was part of a witness protection program, and they discover a completely different past with their mother. So what I can tell you is this. I actually laughed, and my wife did too, probably about a half dozen times. To get a half dozen compulsive laughs out of a movie like this, I think, is pretty good bang for your buck. It's almost two hours long. That's one of its biggest problems. They could have easily shaved this down to about 90 minutes, and it would have worked better. Um, but look for the little brother, too, Maxwell Simpkins. Uh, he's been in Kim Possible. In his first role, he was directed by Rob Reiner in And So. So it goes in 2014. And what's interesting is in my brain, I'm looking at this kid and I'm thinking, I've seen you somewhere before. And then I remembered that that Rob Reiner movie. And uh, he is actually, he's got some great comedic timing. And uh, he, in some ways for me, he's really what made this movie work. So, hey, the price of admission is low, assuming you're a Netflix subscriber. And or if have the kids a friend with Netflix or, or an uncle-in-law with Netflix. Or as my kids would say, having a parent with uh-huh. Netflix. Yeah. So what, and, uh, what 
age group is this ideal for then? I would say, yeah, as I said earlier, probably 8 to 12-year-olds, you know, in there. Okay. But not so painful that the parents couldn't watch with them and have a good time. So this could be a good family movie. Uh, as far as things in it, the families may start to get a little uncomfortable with, with their kids watching. Not a whole heck of a lot. There's, you know, a little bit of a scene where, where, where in fact, it's, it's uh, the little brother where he kind of gets close to a young teen girl for a moment and makes a little off-color remark. Uh, and there's going to be some violence because the mother's past isn't all that pretty, shall we say. Has to be a reason <laughs> yeah. to go to witness but, protection. Okay. Yeah, but definitely tamed down for the family crowd and uh, everything wraps up just almost too perfectly in the end. But uh, but otherwise, though, as they say, it actually was pretty decent. And I've been seeing some good to mediocre reviews on this movie. <laughs> okay. too, and so. not everyone's in a position right now where their theaters are even open to yeah. see the new releases. So it's good to keep covering what's yeah. coming to Bit straight. of a yeah. back to school theme in this movie, too. So that sets you up good for the timing. Fall. Yeah. All right, so now it's it's time for New Mutants, right? Well, it's finally on the schedule. Cool. Aren't we on Can we? I, I have one more thing I want to say. Oh. Um, Rod, you mentioned the, the comedic timing of that actor in that movie. That's one thing that was kind of that just glared at me on the screen when I was watching Bill and Ted face the music was the timing. The comedic timing just seemed way off. Mm. Kind of like the timing of the release of this movie was they're about – 30 years too late for me. <laughs> you know what the timing is right for? It's time for New Mutants, guys. I've been waiting three years. Cole. I finally, I, I brought a visual aid. I just read I have... that that movie got rescheduled. I'm not surprised. So No, I saw it. I swear I was I in a theater. I really don't believe it. Are you in some alternate timeline? Did you take a telephone booth <laughs> to a, a, an alternate timeline where you could see that film? It could be. I saw New Mutants, guys, and I, don't I was so excited to be in theaters again to see a movie the trailer I saw for in 2017. Um, just a, a point of note with all comic book movies, there is no end credit scene because if they had, they would be promoting movies that had happened <laughs> two years ago. You can, you can leave right when the credits start rolling if you get a chance to go see New Mutants, the last installment of the Fox X-Men universe. And for just casual movie fans, it's important to kind of understand what the New Mutants are because you won't see Cyclops and Storm and Nightcrawler and Wolverine, all of the X-Men that we've come to know because New Mutants was actually the first offshoot book of the uncanny X-Men. Oh. So the original five X-Men uh, debuted with X-Men number one in 1963, um, the strangest teens of all. And then it was kind of rebooted in 1975 with Chris Claremont as the writer. And that's where we were introduced to characters like Wolverine. By 1982, X-Men was the highest selling weekly, monthly comic book uh, in shelves, higher than Batman and Superman really? and everything else. Huh. And so the the big wigs up in Marvel needed a second line. They needed to start you know, taking right. advantage of it. And they went to Chris Claremont, the writer, and said, hey, we're going to do this with or without you. And so Claremont started writing a second story with five different new strange teens, called it The New Mutants. And the New Mutants, so so it's characters that fans of just the movies have never seen before, but they should get familiar with because these are fun characters as well that we're finally getting to see on the screen. The story for this movie comes from the Demon Bear Saga, which I have in front of me right here. Here's the trade paperback that this movie was based on, uh, issues 18 through 20 or so I'm of The New Mutants. I'm having a hard time seeing that too, Cole. 
I, I, are you holding something there? I can't see Jeff, it. I am not crazy. New Mutants <laughs> happened. And the Demon Bear is kind of a seminal point in the X-Men universe because it's where Bill Sienkiewicz came on as the artist. And unfortunately, as you start to adapt this into a movie, a lot of the real draw to why the comic sold so well and why it was so interesting was its visual interpretation. And at some point, this movie that was postponed for so long for so many different reasons, for reshoots or for, you know, reportedly adding characters or making different cuts. When you go to Wikipedia, they refer to this as a horror movie, New Mutants. It still has some of that, but it's by the director of The Fault in Our Stars, so it's also got a bunch of the teen drama, which is all fine. The only flaw in the movie is its editing. Visually, it looks good. The characters are amazing actors. These are characters that are now in their mid-20s, but they were teenagers when the film was <laughs> shot. And they do really good acting, and they've got great chemistry, and it's got a decent story, right? It's not a, a super faithful adaptation to the comic, but it's fun to watch, and it's just a shame that so much executive meddling, you know, handing the, the X-Men franchise from Fox over to Disney kind of got in the way of this being an amazing movie. But... All of my anticipation and all of my love for these original characters in the X-Men franchise led me to love every second of it, even if it's not a perfect movie. Um, I'm sorry, you guys. I I can't remember what we talked about for the past three or four minutes. New Mutants is in theaters. (laughs) Go see it. Support it. It happened. I want to go see it. I like the X-Men. And on top of that, it's filmed at the Medfield Insane Asylum. I read about this earlier. And it's this old, cool building in Massachusetts. A Canadian can't say that word. And that is where Shutter Island was shot as well. That looks right. I I can see that now that I'm thinking about Mm -hmm. it. You know, lest you think that I am heartless and I'm being so mean to Cole, it's really we're just playing on the fact that this movie took years to come out, and believe it or not, the movie has finally arrived. I will admit it, Cole. And in fact, it made $750,000 last night at the box office. Ten of ten dollars of which was mine. There we go. <laughs> the, the art, I really do encourage anyone that was even slightly intrigued by this story, and, and even if you're not going to recognize you know, Cyclops in your normal X-Men, go pick up even from your local library the Demon Bear Saga, because... I can't say enough about Bill Sienkiewicz's art. Like, the movie still looked good, but it didn't quite totally capture the true horror. I mean, one of the characters, their mutant ability is to see what scares people, and so that's how they kind of base the plot of it through, where everyone sees their greatest fear or their greatest anxiety. Um, and and that is done, I think, a little bit better on the pages of the book than even the movie that I've waited so long for. Well, as we do with each and every show, we like to end things by doing a little panning for good. There's good in them dire hills. We started the program by recasting one of the greatest movies of all time, The Wizard of Oz. And it's also one of the most impactful and influential movies of all time. You can tell by all of the references to it in many other movies. The famous red slippers and the follow the yellow brick road and the basic story of this person that 
delves into a, a different world over the rainbow from their own. And there have been so many interpretations. I mentioned the Tin Man from sci-fi and The Wiz and Oz the Great and Powerful. Jeff, a fan of Return to Oz, which I also got to saw, see this week. A little bit of an underrated nugget. Yeah. And again, really think hard about when you want to show your kids that movie because even as an adult, it's pretty creepy. And I mean, it's... it. It's a tough one to swallow. Like, I've shown my kids Jurassic Park. I have not shown them Return to Oz. <laughs> Just to give you some perspective there. A more family-friendly take on the Ozian tale might be the episode of the TV show Scrubs, where JD goes almost over the rainbow, and they kind of change the color saturation whenever he steps into Oz, and he's always trying to get home, and his different best friends are looking for a brain and a heart. And the courage to do something. And and we've seen a lot of different takes on Oz. That's a personal favorite of mine and one that maybe not everyone has seen. Well, we've had a fantastic time here on the show recasting some amazingly iconic films and uh, hopefully not ruffling any feathers in the process. But, uh, yeah, hopefully you were playing along at home and and, uh, had some interesting choices yourself. We're so grateful to have had Rod Gustafson here today with us. Rod, thanks for being here. Hey, it was great. Thank you. And as you know, we're here each and every week on BYU Radio or download our podcast and find our shows that way. Just Google Screen Cleaning Podcast. And we're here each and every week on BYU Radio. I'm Jeff Simpson. And I'm Cole Wissinger. And we'll see you next time on Screen Cleaning.